All right. Well, uh, hello, everyone. Hopefully you guys can hear me and that I sound okay. Um, we should be getting Matt in here soon. Alex should be well on his way. I guess I'm here to fill some dead air. Can you guys throw up uh, some emojis maybe in here real quick? Just let me know if you can hear me okay. Hoping everything sounds sounds good. Okay. Danielle gave me a peace sign, so hopefully that means I sound I sound good. Addy, thank you. Thank you. Matt, cool. Awesome. All right. Oh, there's Alex. We'll get him in here to to speak. I'm here. Ooh, you're here. Welcome to here. I, I don't know if I if I was the him you were referring to. But... Yes, you in fact are the him. Not like the band him, but like you him. Just me. Just you. Just you. Oh, so, right. um, while we wait for Dr. Radu to join us, I was actually checking to make sure that I didn't get any last minute uh, emails saying I don't know how to do this uh, help. Um, so, uh, we're just waiting for, uh, Dr. Radu to join us in the space. Um, and I'll start everything off by introducing Kassa for those who are not familiar with what we do or who we are. Um, Kassa is the Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association, the oldest and largest consumer, uh, grassroots THR advocacy organization, uh, in the United States, uh, and possibly around the world. Um, and uh, for those of you who are new, go visit our website, casaa.org. Tons of resources, opportunities to get engaged with lawmakers, keep up on all of this policy nonsense that I'm sure we will dip into tonight. And I see that Brad has joined us. Uh, and uh, Brad, all you need to do is uh, request to be a speaker. There's a little microphone looking thing uh, at the bottom. Just tap on that and Danielle will give you speaker privileges. Oh, and just so Danielle doesn't yell at me also, while you're over at Kassa.org, you should check out some super sweet merch because <laughs> Danielle made some pretty cool t-shirts and other things. There you go, Danielle. <laughs> Thanks. I needed Thanks very much for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. I needed these. Dr. Brad, I have uh, sent you an invite a couple times. So I, if you also just want to click accept, hopefully that's popping up there, but I've sent it over. So even though I, I expect maybe the timing will be a little off here, um, I will go ahead and introduce Dr. Radu. Um, for those of you who do not know, Brad Radu. Uh, he's a professor of medicine at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, uh, a senior scientist at its James Graham Brown Cancer Center. And I must confess, I, I was looking for a short and sweet introduction. And so I went to Tobacco Tactics uh, to get this very brief uh, description. Um, Dr. Radu is a, uh, has a background in dentist, dentistry and oral pathology, which of course led to his uh, ultimately research on oral tobacco products. And um, if I remember correctly from listening to uh, you speak in the past, noticing some uh, inconsistencies between um, what was actually showing up in the data, the epidemiology uh, versus the um, 
the fear and panic campaigns that I, I think we were all exposed to. Um, I don't know if it was starting in the 80s. Um, I'm certainly a child of the 80s and, and uh, have had maintained a, a, a poor opinion of oral tobacco uh, well into my young adult life. Um, all the while, of course, continuing to smoke cigarettes. Uh, and one of the more interesting products that projects that um, Dr. Radu has uh, was spearheaded or was part of. Um, you'll have to correct me if I'm misrepresenting your role in this, uh, but it was the Switch and Quit Owensboro campaign. This is from uh, more than a decade ago, but it's it was a, a essentially a public health cam campaign to uh, help people transition away from smoking and choose smoke-free tobacco products instead. Uh, and as as we have noted many times on on our media on our on our uh, on our on our page, in our materials, uh, smokeless tobacco is demonstrably less harmful than smoking cigarettes, orders of magnitude. In fact, uh, the early um, estimates about how much more, uh, how much less harmful vapor products would be were really based on data from SNUS, a oral tobacco product from Sweden. Um, and I, I see we have a lot of familiar faces here, so uh, I'm sure I'm just running over stuff that, that you guys already know. Um, and we're still uh, we're still waiting for uh, to get Brad connected as a speaker. And I, I... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, Dr. Audio might be having some issues on his end. Um, we've sent over some DMs and things like this, no responses yet. So not sure if you can hear us, uh, Brad, but um, yeah, either the microphone down at the bottom left of this Twitter space, uh, you can click that to, to, to request. Um, I'm not sure exactly where requests from the space themselves show up, uh, but there should be that somewhere as well. Yeah, Danielle should, should get a request when it, um, when it pops up. Oh, you're talking about uh, our invites. Yeah, when when we send them out, I'm not exactly sure where where uh, like a host invite, like that kind of invite, shows up, but that should should be somewhere on the screen as well. Well, we seem to be adding some more people, so that's good. We're we're uh, we're filling time here so that uh, we can let more people join. That'll be the ticket. <laughs> That'll be the ticket. You know. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned recent, you know, you mentioned that, um, it wasn't until your, your young adult life that you started learning more about oral tobacco. I was very much in the, um, the misinformed camp until maybe 2018, early 2019, whenever I had sat down and actually had, uh, Kristen on my old podcast and, and you, was when I started learning more about oral tobacco and, and, you know, the, just the decades of misinformation about it. And then obviously from there, I dug into Kassar's site and, and did a lot more research, um, in, including, uh, research from, from Dr. Radu. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know, I might've, might've shared, um, you know, when we talked on your show and I've shared a couple of times, you know, the first time I tried snooze was in 2008. Of course, ultimately, this conversation tonight is not just about smokeless, but um, we're, we're going to uh, take advantage of having Dr. Radu on when we can get any of the technical issues worked out. But um, 2008, I was looking for a smoke-free option 
that I could use on public transportation for my job. And uh, Camel Snooze was being sold. It was sort of, it looked like a new product. It was a new product at the time. And um, uh, I, I had to confront those, that, that, that misinformation that I, I had been force fed <laughs> you know, as a teenager and, and decided to look into it. And Carl Phillips, I think, was one of the first people I, I read about, you know, the relative risk of snooze versus continuing to smoke and, and of course smokeless tobacco generally um so yeah that was that was uh 2008 and, I, and like a lot of people you know we, we talk about this all the time with with you know the, the propaganda that we see um on uh you know against vaping and so on the same moral panic was applied to smokeless tobacco and um you know we we talk a lot about in the vaping community, people talk a lot about harm reduction, but it seems that we have a lot of folks um, still very uh, skeptical of smokeless tobacco. Um, I, I, I imagine, I, I sort of hope that, that nicotine pouches act as a bridge to, to helping people understand better what, um, you know, smokeless and, and, and smoke-free nicotine, oral nicotine products um, are all about and, and what the risks are, of course, compared to smoking. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm starting to trip over my tongue here. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we're just still trying to, um, Danielle is in discussion with Dr. Radu. He is with us. Uh, it seems maybe like a, a microphone issue or just a connection issue right now. So he can hear us <laughs> and he's here. Um, we just haven't been able to quite get him get him connected connected to everything. Yeah, we're just having a settings issue. You know how phones go with giving apps access to microphones. So we're we're trying to work through that. Ah, Ooh, Hi, it everyone. looks like I think I'm finally here. You are. You, you are welcome. Thank you very much, and I apologize. This is the first time on Twitter, and I had to set up the microphone and was confused by that. So I am here and uh, ready to go. No worries. I, I hope uh, I hope my um, introduction and, and brief um, background that I read from Tobacco Tactics would, would suffice for uh, bringing you in tonight. Um, if it doesn't, then I'll, I'll just blame it on Logan. Um, but uh, Tobacco Tactics <laughs> made me that's, smile, that's, that's for sure. So. <laughs> perfectly fine. I accept the blame either way. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome. Um, and uh, as, as I mentioned uh, in, in getting you ready for the show, you know, we wanted to talk about the National Youth Tobacco Survey data that was recently released. Uh, and I, I noticed I, I didn't uh, didn't recommend the, the your your blog yet, but if you are interested in some visual aids to go along with this, um, uh, you can always go to Dr. Radu's uh, blog spot. It's RaduTobaccoTruth.blogspot.com, um, and he has two blog posts up about this. Uh, and with that, um, Dr. Radu, um, take it away. Tell us tell us what you. Uh, what you've come up with in the, the National Youth Tobacco Survey data. Well, you, you know, this is following a very similar pattern to many years now. So what happens is that uh, this is a CDC survey, and they get the data, and they uh, analyze it, 
And then they put out a report um, months to perhaps a year after they've, uh, after the survey has been conducted nationwide. And of course they spin it to their, um, to, to, to be, uh, to their narrative. And then nobody else has the data to analyze the survey for anywhere from six months to up to a year. And this has been standard with almost every uh, instrument that the federal government has. And they just released the data two weeks ago and I started analyzing it. And one thing that the CDC never does as a matter of policy is combine tobacco use in their prevalence statistics. In other words, they show cigarette smoking among high school students as one bar and e-cigarettes is another bar, cigars, smokeless. They're all separate columns on a chart, but you have no idea how those different behaviors are interacting. And that's what I'm able to do when I finally get the data. I'm able to show that a, uh, a reasonable proportion of e-cigarette users are also current smokers. And I'm able to draw some other insights from the data that the CDC is just unwilling to uh, talk about. And um, I'm, I've been critical of this for many years now. I've been tracking this data probably for six or eight years. Each year, I do assert, I, I analyze the data and add to my uh, chart that shows this in perspective. It gives you some sense of what this data means, not just what the CDC wants you to know to believe it means yeah and and that's um that's frustrating for a lot of reasons and i think one in particular being when the cdc puts out that report uh and and tells you know the world how many you know of our youth are are using e-cigarettes or or whatever in a given time in the u.s we can't, uh, you know, we're not getting that data for, like you said, six months, a year down the road. Whatever their narrative is that goes out is picked up by mainstream media, is blasted all over the internet, yada, yada, campaign for tobacco-free kids and et cetera, take it and use it. But we don't have the data to necessarily and accurately counter that argument for, like you said, upwards of a year. That's exactly right. Uh, for example, uh, they put out these numbers, both millions of students, and they do put out some percentages or prevalence rates. But they don't, uh, number one, they don't put out the uh, perspective that these kids are also using other tobacco products or have been exposed to other tobacco products. So they have ever used other products. This is very important 
because they're not quote unquote virgins as I as I term them in my blogs. They are experienced uh, tobacco users. So, you know, but if that doesn't serve this narrative that this is a brand new and separate epidemic of tobacco, that it doesn't serve that. And so the CDC never talks about it. Secondly, up until this year, they never talked about uh, which of these vapors and I do, um, I do specify w- which vapors are quote unquote virgins. The next thing that the CDC never asks is how many of them are uh, uh, below 18 years of age or 18 plus. Now, until very recently, as you all know, that the, uh, the, the um, underage is what was of concern. But the 18 plus vapors were not only legal, but they were likely the predominant source of all the vaping products to the underage kids. It wasn't the uh, manufacturers or the retailers that supplying kids. It was legal age kids, teens and young adults, who were bringing those products in and sharing them with underage vapors. So we never heard about that either. And these these are very, very important. And then we finally don't didn't understand that the that the underage um, virgin vapors were a very small proportion of all high school students. Uh, This year in 2021, they were about 3% of all high school students. Now, no one here or anywhere should be comfortable or accept that that there should be any high school vapors. But it is a far smaller proportion than has than is being um, is that we are than, than we are being led to believe by federal officials. So that's my main point. Yeah, you know, one of the things I I, I saw first of all, you know, that when you, you you putting this into context that that CDC is so sorely lacking in their presentation, um, it, it's this very clear downtrend. I mean, even if we're looking back as far as as 2012, um, you know, combining all of the, the smoking, dual use, and vaping together is down from from 10 years ago or nine years ago, the the data going according to the data. Um, Oh, absolutely. And and first of all, the most important downward trend is the dark blue bars at the bottom of my charts that show the smoking only rate. Those are down to trivial rates. And even the combined rates, the dual use rates, you combine the dual use and the smoking, you get all of smoking. And those are those have been plummeting even when vaping was going up in 2018 and 2019. Those yeah. smoking rates were coming down. And now the vaping rates are coming down and the smoking rates continue to decline. So these are definitely 
valuable insights that we're not getting uh, from federal officials when they release these numbers. And it's also, I, I know that, I mean, sort of the, I mean, the data that's come out from 2020 and 2021 is, is sort of couched in this whole, uh, oh, well, you know, it's a pandemic, everything, you know, everybody's behaving differently. We're all in, we're all, we all, we were all in lockdowns, the economy shut down. So it's, it's this, you know, the narrative is, of course, we, we can't use this data to compare uh, to previous years. Um, and you, you get into this on, on one of your recent blog posts about, um, you know, kids staying home, comparing the, you know, smoking and vaping at home versus kids who were in school in 2021. Um, and and I, 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 the joke is funny that, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil it for people. Go read the blog post. Um, <laughs> yeah. You but, can read it on the blog, but yes, it's true that kids who stayed home smoked and vaped less in 2021 than the kids who were at school when they took the survey. That makes sense in a way. At home, they're a little bit more, um, they're not as free to, to do these extracurricular activities. But the other important point I make, and I'll leave the joke, you can go look, but I, the other important point I make is that even looking at the school rate in 2021, just look at the school rate, which could be comparable to the school rates from earlier years, we still see smoking down. We still see vaping down. So I, I think it's very good news, regardless of how you look at it. Take all the at-home kids out, you still see declining rates of both. So, you know, I, I think this, you know, this is positive news, and we know it's positive. We can, we can rest assured it's positive because the CDC and FDA aren't talking about it. That's how we know for sure. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is surprising that they're not at least, you know, propping up the, the smoking rate numbers as, as a victory because of all the work they've done for decades. Um, I don't know if maybe they, they don't want to prop up the low smoking rate because they're maybe afraid of a small rebound in, in, you know, 2022 numbers or if it doesn't fit into their whole, you know, vaping as a gateway to smoking narrative or what. But you would think like with that, because what was it like 1.75% or something like it was something crazy low. Uh, it is. It is crazy low. And, you know, not only, you know, we can talk all day about, well, is NYTS reliable with the new surveys? You know, the new the, the, number one, they went from paper surveys about two or three years ago to computer surveys. Uh, and that was a big change. This this last year, of course, 2021, we had the COVID uh, uh, issue. But also keep in mind this. In young adults age 18 to 24, okay, the National Health Interview Survey, another CDC uh, instrument, is also recording declining and record low smoking rates among 18 to 24 year olds, young adults. So what we're seeing in high school is continuing. You know, it used to be 15 or 20 years ago, we saw the highest rates in young adults. And it made sense. Kids got out of high school, 
no parental control. They're in college, they're working, they're in an apartment, and they're experimenting. So they had high smoking rates and all other rates at that time. Now, 18 to 24-year-olds, they may be vaping, but they're certainly not smoking just like their teen uh, counterparts a few years younger. Well, that is fabulous news because that means ultimately when they become a, uh, when they become older adults, they're not going to be carrying all of that smoking baggage for risks from all these different diseases. So it's all great news, and we're not hearing a word of it from federal officials. You know, one one of the the questions I had about. Um the uh the the school versus the 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 kids who were at home during the pandemic um was and, and you, you know you talked a lot about essentially access uh that you know kids that stayed home didn't have access to the older kids who they could get the 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 e-cigs off of um and and i understand that's you know that's certainly a significant part of the equation but i'm also curious you know with kids being uh, well having to stay home um i was about to say being able to stay home, but having to stay home, um, you know, there's a certain amount of comfort and security that's, that comes with being in your own home. Certainly not all kids have that. Uh, and I imagine there were a lot of stresses the parents are going through that may make that may, may make a household a bit more unstable given the, the circumstances. But I'm, I'm wondering if that also has a role to play and if there is any instrument out there that, that could confirm or, or investigate that. That essentially the lack of the lack of stress and anxiety of going to school, of being in in that school and social environment and so on, um, played a role. You know, it's interesting, and I'll be blogging on this next week. Um, the NYTS also asks kids the reasons that they have vaped, and I look at the last four years during the time when vaping spiked up and then back down. I look at the kids' responses, the vapors, the, the high school vapors' responses to those questions. And I think, it, I think you'll find that very interesting, too. Like I said, I'll put that blog out early next week. Um, what's interesting is they've changed the questions over time. Now, that drives an analyst like me nuts because... You don't you don't like to see those changes that introduces problems. But in 2021, they did ask kids um, if they, one of the reasons and it was a new reason in 2021, uh, whether they vaped because they were, uh, I think it was stressed, anxious, anxious, stressed or depressed. And uh, they got a big response for that for that particular item. So, you know, at that, it, it, but, but we don't have any other years where they've collected that information. So we really can't put it in too much uh, perspective. Yeah, I know that's, that's been kind of a, a, a problem throughout this. I remember these conversations and, 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 you know, changing questions year after year, it's hard to make comparisons. And, you know, one of the things, um, that comes to mind was I, I can't remember it might have been e-cigarette summit in dc um but there was some talk of the need for more 
um, kind of rapid response um, in terms of, of you know, making policy changes um, and everything that comes along with making a rapid response. Um, but we need survey instruments that are administered and, 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 and analyzed more frequently. Um, I, I mean, does this, I, I can only imagine this flip-flopping in, in, in questions um, especially questions that were once on. I think there was a, a question about cannabis that was on one year and then it wasn't included the next. Um, I mean, doesn't that sort of needlessly complicate things? And, and I mean, is, is that a barrier to, to having more effective um, surveys and, and more useful data in a timely manner? No, I totally, I totally agree with you. Canada, uh, uh, marijuana vaping was on the survey in 18, off in 19, back in 20, and 21. And I, I have, it's totally inexplicable why they did that, how they dropped that very important question. And again, they don't talk about marijuana at all when they release the vaping statistics. And I think that's uh, uh, very disappointing because number one, Many of these kids who say they're vaping may be vaping marijuana and not nicotine. We have no idea. This survey does not distinguish. But we know that a lot of the kids, if you vape frequently, you are, you're very likely to be also vaping marijuana. But it's, but it's uh, that, that a majority is present in all frequencies of vaping. I looked at it in that blog post. I looked at uh, one to nine days, 10 to 19, and 20 plus days, the latter being, of course, frequent vaping. Um, the, there was a majority in all categories that were vaping marijuana. So yeah, we don't know what that means because we can't sort it out. And then additionally, that plays into this whole um, this whole disaster with the valley, where the CDC was very very slow to even acknowledge that these illegal THC products were were being implicated. They they continued to put out the veil that it was e-cigarettes and nicotine vape products. And it, that's just, uh, that was criminal as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it, can, it continues to, to plague us in, in, in city councils and, and state legislative committees, legislature committees, uh, yeah. people. It, and it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's well-meaning. It's usually it's young people. Um, uh, embarrassingly, sometimes it's health officials. Um, and of course, the, the body parts lobbyists, but are, are very frequent in, in, in citing lung injuries as a reason to pass some horrible policy. Um, and speaking of, of cannabis, um, you, you had a, you as, as well, and several people noticed um, the weird numbers around heat, not burn um, without me reading things. You know, what 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 was your um, analysis on, on the heat, not burn numbers that kids were reporting? Well, they're reporting prevalence rates and actual numbers that are far beyond what was possible uh, uh, the, during that year in 2021, because 
Number one, as everybody here knows, I'm preaching to the choir, HNB products were only marketed in a couple cities in this country. And the uptake was debatable. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, I doubt that it even reached the millions of, of actual uh, smokers who you know, tr uh, made the switch. So now we have several hundred thousand kids who claim that they, in the past 30 days, had used one of these products. I mean, that's just impossible. You know, when I was at a meeting in uh, Canada, and it wasn't a tobacco meeting, when I was in a meeting in Vancouver a few years ago, I decided to walk over, my wife and I walked over to a ICO store and tried to get in. And I'll be darned, I couldn't get in. And I gave them my credentials as a tobacco researcher. They would not let me in those stores. And I think that's very firm policy throughout the world for P for um, PMI and ICOS. Uh, you have to basically swear on a Bible that you're a smoker in order to get in there. And they are not going to let kids in. And so this is just impossible. So either kids are confused. They've confused HNB with vapor products because they heat them. That heats up a liquid, too. Or they're just simply filling out these surveys and kind of just, um, you know, hey, HNB, that's a new product I haven't heard of. Shoot, yeah, I'll, I'll say I tried it or I'll say I'm using it. It's I, I think there's a, a lot of that in any teen survey that we have to be now, careful about. Did they say heat not burn or did they mention specific products? I forget. Like, did they say IQOS or did they just say heat not burn products? They mentioned you know, both. I actually uh, looked into this. They list IQOS, Glow, and Eclipse. Brett, Brett Dr. Brad, okay. I've actually done a little bit of research on this. And I have a theory that is potential and perhaps not all i agree with you that there's probably kids that just fill this out and say oh yeah i tried it and they're not even you know paying any attention but there are so they list like i said icos glow and eclipse and i have i actually went down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out if and when any of these products were even marketed or available in the united states and the interesting thing is that both glow and eclipse are also the name of heat not burn cannabis products Eclipse mm -hmm. gotcha. in particular, because uh, Heat Not Burn has been around in the cannabis industry for much, you know, very long time. That's that's a pretty normal thing. And yeah, that's that's what I was wondering if that's what they're getting confused by. Yeah, there's no less than four vaporizers called Eclipse. Some of them even, you know, I'm sure to skirt the legality of cannabis, put on the, you know, the bottom of their website, oh, this is only for tobacco products, you know, because they're tr basically trying to, to stay legal. Very but I think, dryer yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, something that could potentially be, be going on. Fascinating information, and I'm going to look into that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Dryer vaporizers with, for cannabis are a lot more popular, and there's a lot more of them out there than, uh, than for tobacco. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to say in Eclipse, I mean, I, I, Dr. Rodden, you might remember this. Um, uh, it, that was that is actually well that's the the product that reynolds got through the substantial equivalency pathway um but what it is for people who don't know or or didn't have the 
weird privilege of, of using one. Um, it, it is a cigarette. It, it's got paper and a filter and everything, but it has a, a carbon tip and you heat it up with a lighter. And that of course draws, as you draw on the cigarette, it draws the, the super or the very hot air over the tobacco leaf and vaporizes the nicotine and there's no combustion. Um, you're left with this large disposable um, paper and, and uh, whatever plastic uh, and foil cigarette thing. Um, and it tasted like dog farts. Um, don't, I, I'm just, I don't know what dog farts taste like. I'm just using that. So um, don't, don't try to be cute. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was gonna chime in. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, just, just hold your tongue, man. I know you're waiting. I know you're working on something. Um, but no, it was it was only marketed in, in two cities in the 90s. And I happened to be in one of them, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and had a housemate at the time that was obsessed with them. Um, but man, they were a mess and they were disgusting. Uh, and they uh, I don't think they're sold anymore. And so it's it's just it's another one of those things like why even ask if kids are using this product that I, as far as I know, isn't actually sold in the United States. You know, I think that Reynolds may still have a couple stores around Winston-Salem that that may sell a few packs of them now and again. They may still technically be on the market. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick story about those products. They, they came out somewhere around 2000 or late, late 90s, early 2000s. And they, they had a big promotion. And the Reynolds folks offered for anyone in the U.S. at an academic institution that was interested in these products that had lower, some lower um, risk profiles, you know, from a standpoint of the components, they could call Reynolds and they would send a uh, one of their experts to discuss them. And I called and they sent their top toxicology researcher and he gave a talk at the UAB School of Public Health sponsored by me at the time. And in private discussions with him, he told me that I was the only academic in the entire United States who was interested in that in finding out more information about that product. But it was a successful visit. We got a very a good uh, look at these products. And sure, there were downsides to them, but it was a fascinating um introduction to to uh, a a heat not burn tobacco product that that actually that is surprising i i i i expect a low turnout but to to for you to be the only person curious about that <laughs> um, this is actually shocking to me um and I, I know, I don't know if you, if you wanted to get into this. I mean, of course, the topic was NYTS, but I, I, I feel like, I mean, unless there's there's more to, to drill down on here, um, you know, we've, we've kind I actually, of... I do have oh. one thing that's kind of eaten away at my brain here. Um, we were discussing access, and I'm curious about 
your thoughts, Dr. Radu, on T21's effect on this. We were, you know, you had brought up um, seniors in high school and they weren't really asking necessarily about over and under 18. And, you know, at the time when uh, 18-year-olds could legally purchase tobacco products, if if T21, if, if in part that decline that we're seeing across the board, how, how much of that do you think is, is T21 and these seniors, these 18 year olds now no longer being the, you know, the, the vape and cigarette dealers of high school? Um, how much do you think that plays a part or, or do you think a lot of that is, is more of the isolation, the pandemic and, and et cetera? You know, that's a great question, and I don't have a specific answer. I will say, as background, that I became an advocate for T21 and made a couple uh, and had a, have a couple blog posts a few years ago when I changed my mind and endorsed that concept. And the reason I did is that. I believed that it would take out an important conduit for the underage users of any tobacco product. And so, but I'm not, I I don't have any evidence, and I've been looking for it, in other youth behavioral surveys, NYTS, we really don't yet have conclusive evidence that T21 has had a measurable effect. You know, every time you measure an effect like that, you have to take into account that the trend was already going down. And I get a kick out of uh, groups like Campaign for Tobacco for Kids and Truth Initiative, where they take credit for things that are already on the decline, you know, they say they are, their particular um, uh, actions uh, caused these things when they were happening anyway. So I'm always very conservative in attributing these kinds of changes to any one particular entity because, you know, in reality, it's all complicated. But I will be continuing to look at that. That's a great question. Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm sure folks have noticed recently, I guess within the past week or so, um, we've been seeing statements out of the, the campaign and I assume the body parts groups are, are close behind. Um, you know, the kids are having a really hard time quitting vaping. Um, it, which is interesting to me because it wasn't that long ago that Truth Initiative was touting the success of their uh, their nag you till you quit vaping app. Um, and so I, I and, and of course, I, I mean, I think most of us can do our own math on this and realize that it is just more more bullshit coming from the, the body parts groups. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear, you know, um, the I know that we've seen a study recently about um, I don't want to say addiction liability, but I guess that's it's, it's better than abuse liability um, that young people are actually experiencing a lower addiction liability with vapor products. And I assume other smoke free products, um, you know, is there there's there's looking at that in, in vaping. 
Um, I've, I've always been kind of curious as well about that uh, kind of profile with, with smokeless products. Well, absolutely. And we've looked at it with smokeless products. We actually, I, my group in, in conjunction with Carl Fagerstrom, who, who is one of the premier nicotine scientists from Sweden, we published an article a few years ago uh, about the relative um, dependence scale of smokeless tobacco users, as they report it, compared with the uh, how smokers report it. And we believe that smokeless tobacco represented a lower uh, dependence level than smoking did. And, um, uh, you know, I, I know I've blogged on that, too. You can put uh, Fagerstrom in, in the search function of my blog. You'll come up with that with that report. Uh, I'm not I've I'm not an expert on dependence with in vaping and we're, we're looking a little bit at that but i'm not at this point going to make any specific claims about um vaping uh as as opposed to smoking but um you know one thing i will say i mean we'll make one comment about uh these organizations and their claims is on one hand, they say that nicotine is a lifetime addiction. And on the other hand, they, they give all these um, trivial um, uh, tips for quitting that make it like anybody can quit. Um, you know, like if you, if you want to smoke, eat a carrot instead or, you know, do, do these kinds of things. They never have it consistent. They want it both ways. It's either a lifetime addiction that nobody can, um, that nobody can break. And if that's the case, we got to have tobacco harm reduction products. But then they say anybody can quit using these trivial aids that we demand that everybody use that, yeah. that that's absolutely inconsistent i'm i'm curious to see if uh the youth of today have considered bird watching <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i think the problem with trying to get accurate dependence numbers with vaping is because is the products just vary so much and they're you know even though you know i i know in the u.s we've it's slowed down somewhat as far as uh innovation goes but uh you know they're constantly evolving so and the more effective products for adults are usually the more you know dependence forming products uh for anyone so that's it's a tough tough one to discuss well and and they're probably the ones that are most successful in getting smokers to switch so yeah, exactly so it's not it's not an all or none game it's it's you know, I definitely want smokers to be attracted to these products and be satisfied by them. That is a must. I guess sort of sort of in that vein, um, you know, when you were talking about this sort of trivial 
um, <laughs> how to trivial tips and how to stay away from smoking. And, um, you know, one of the themes that I, I think maybe we've all experienced here is this notion that we should just be satisfied with what they give us. Um, I mean, in, in your experience or in, in, in just life experience or, or, or professionally, I mean, where does that come from? And do people realize the words that are coming out of their mouth when they say these things? You know, it's hard for me to judge whether they believe what they're saying or whether they are so, um, so committed to this nicotine abstinence platform that they just don't have the ability to, to, um, uh, to change. I, I honestly, it's hard. I, I'm asked that question a lot about the motivations or, you know, the psychology of the other side. I, I just find it frustrating because I, I can't figure them out. Yeah, I certainly certainly don't mean to heap any any stress on you there, but um, yeah, it's 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 just one of those things that that keeps coming back up, and it, it's 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 incredibly you know alienating and and, and dismissive um, of of what we all experience. You know, whether we're talking about tobacco or or um, you know perhaps other, I, I know I'm going to use the wrong word here, but problematic uh, substance use. Um, so um, so yeah. I, there's no question there, but <laughs> I, um, I, I guess this is probably a question you can't answer similar to the last one, but going back to, um, you know, year over year, uh, surveys and the questions that they do ask, and then the questions that they choose to omit, you know, as far as the CDC goes, they've, they're very experienced with these, these surveys. They, they have to know, that when they change things or they omit questions and then they bring them back, that that's problematic. Uh, like they, you know, the CDC is, is filled with incredibly intelligent people. They, they must know that this is problematic. And so do you think in any way that this is, uh, to fit certain narratives, uh, whether, you know, if we only ask this question this one year, we can talk about this seemingly big percentage of youths who are doing X, Y, and Z, but we don't have data to fall back on. So we can promote it as this big number and, you know, raise awareness or, or you know, essentially panic uh, without also being able to explain, oh, hey, by the way, that number is actually down or whatever the trend may be, Um do you think in any way that that that's to, to further a narrative or an agenda as opposed to just, oh, we forgot to ask that question this year? No, there, there's no way they forget. Um, but, you know, I'll give you another example of how they how these things have evolved. So when e-cigarettes, when they first started asking about e-cigarettes, this was back in, I don't know, was it 2012 or so? They're all on my blogs. I've got all the charts. But when they first started asking about them, they were only mentioned as part of a question that asked about miscellaneous products. OK, that 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 they, they were a real minor part.
part of that survey. And then around 2014, and don't hold me to these to these dates, but around 2014, and this was actually part of the spike, they moved e-cigarettes to its own questions, set of questions. And I think it was like the first set of questions was cigarettes, then cigars, maybe cigarettes after that, smokeless, uh, whatever. Then, more recently, e-cigarettes have been the first set of questions after they fill out what age and school and, you know, the, the demographic stuff. It's, it's all about e-cigarettes. And the questions for e-cigarettes have blown up to a very large number. Sometimes they ask questions about e-cigarettes that they don't ask about other products. So it's almost as if, if a student can't answer the questions, it's like, hey, what am I missing here? You know, it, it's, it's that kind of, you know, this is the kind of emphasis that you don't even see unless you see the survey questionnaires that are available on the CDC website. If you see those questionnaires and track them over years, you start to see this thing. So it's not just about omission or inclusion of a question. It's all kinds of subtle things that happen over the lifetime of these surveys that may be influencing the, the, the results. That's why we need other instruments like the population uh, assessment of tobacco and health path survey from the FDA. It has youth data. The knowledge panel has youth data. Uh, what, there's another survey called the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Why they've not included vaping yet, I have no idea, but they haven't. Uh, we need other surveys in order to make sure that the NYTS is within bounds. And I have blogged about comparison of NYTS with these other surveys in a, a couple items. So, so, yeah, there's a lot of nuances here that are never discussed because, uh, unlike you guys, they're, they're just not asking the questions. Yeah, I, I am curious more and more about uh, the way these surveys are done and and the way that they're put out there and the, and the, the questions and, and all of that. So, so I appreciate yeah, it. I'm, I, I'm not like certain. I, it could be like basically two things in my mind, either the nefarious reasons or there's just so many cooks in the kitchen. They have different teams working on this every year. And I mean, we saw how much they bungled their messaging with COVID and went back and forth on things like masks and all, all kinds of crap. So I don't know. It's either. I mean, there's definitely very smart people at the at the CDC, but maybe their organization is just rotten and uh, and there's no good leadership, or they do have you know are have nefarious uh, reasons and they want to you know basically ask questions that are going to give them headlines to feed to to media. Yeah, I'm curious if it's that or if it's if it's this kind of haphazardly trying to 
um, you know, update and, and get more details, you know, following trends and whatnot. I just think maybe for the CDC, it would be really helpful to ask experienced users questions or, or see if we can, you know, assist in any way clarifying questions that would make it easier for use to understand uh, and try to help cut out some of that that confusion amongst products and different terms and things like that um, because it is, it is the CDC and they always, you know, feel a little unhip to what's going on. So, well, and I'm curious to know, you know, sorry to interrupt you, Logan. Um, there's another survey that CDC does, which is actually my favorite. And um, Dr. Brad, I don't know if you have an opinion on it, but it's the youth risk behavior surveillance survey. Now, that one's only done every other year, which is a huge bummer because, you know, we have to wait. Um, But I actually have found looking through, you know, their results that their questions are way more consistent. The way that they report data is much more consistent. National Youth Tobacco Survey in the at least in the MMWRs that I can see, uh, I know you have access to the raw data. They didn't even start reporting uh, frequency of use, right? So the number of days that current, you know, vapors are uh, using until the last few years. Um, but the, you know, YRBS has always done that in all of, and it covers multiple categories. It's not just tobacco. It covers, you know, dr- illicit drug use, alcohol, you know, um, sexual behaviors, you know, all kinds of things. I actually love that survey. And it just seems so odd to me that the CDC can put out on the one hand, one seems to me really well done survey. And then on the other hand, you know, the one for specifically for tobacco use has so many, you know, irregularities and strange things and seems really skewed. You know, I totally agree with you. I think YRBS is a great uh, instrument. And, you know, the other um, positive about asking about a whole bunch of behaviors is that kids are maybe a little more likely to be more honest when the behavior is embedded in a whole big set of things, as opposed to being focused only on, you know, one tobacco. And uh, so I think, you know, for example, in the, in the national survey on drug use and health, uh, they always have much higher rates of smoking than the national health interview survey. And this is for adults. And I did a, uh, a an analysis and published a paper in that, and I think it was nicotine tobacco research about the comparison of the two surveys. And what we came up with was that the National Health Interview Survey was a health survey. And smoking is one of those bad things. Whereas the National Survey on Drug Use and Health had a whole bunch of other behaviors that were drug related. And smoking was one of the least, uh, you know, at least the least um, offensive of the behaviors. And it may have accounted for why people may have been more honest and there may have been more smoking reported there than had been reported in the NHIS. So there's all kinds of nuances and all kinds of ways of, of looking at this. And that's what our federal researchers ought to be doing. They ought to be doing this kind of work that help us 
really truly understand these issues i uh i just have one last uh question before we we kind of you know make our way out of here uh typically we we have these shows on for about an hour i mean if other people have more questions or if you have a lot more to add we'd be happy to keep going but um what is your i i guess your interpretation um of the cdc saying that not only you know this survey this data is both accurate but also shouldn't be compared um because that for a lot of people that that feels like you know well if it's accurate why can't we compare it and i i guess my take was that you know they're they're confident in their results being you know honest and accurate but we shouldn't compare it because of you know the pandemic the predicament social interactions and things like that is 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 that fair or or well, do you I think it pres- I think it's a, I think you described the dilemma really well they say don't compare it to other years but if I'm not mistaken that MMWR report had other years in it or at least some of their reports do so on one hand they're saying don't compare it on the other hand everybody's comparing it and that's why I came out with that home versus school uh, uh, blog post to try to clarify. That was the reason they said don't compare it. And so I wanted to at least put that into perspective that even the school kids, which should be comparable to earlier years, had lower rates. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think – we're, we're getting mixed messages from uh, federal authorities. And I, you know, it's just part of the narrative and I don't think it's fair. Yeah. It and, just feels like in one hand, they're telling us, you know, this is, this is accurate. You know, we've, we've done our duty here. This is our data is accurate. But in the other hand, they're like, but don't compare it, <laughs> but don't use it. It's accurate, but don't use it. And also, yeah. but we're still going to tout that, you know, X number of million of kids are using yeah. any tobacco product, right? So it's okay for us to compare it to prior years when we're talking about, you know, total tobacco products used, but you should definitely not compare. It is, in my opinion, it's very hypocritical. Yep, I agree. Well, I did, as, as Logan mentioned, we are at the, well, we're at the bottom of the next hour, Um and uh, and we should be wrapping up here soon. But I did. Uh, I, I I would love to end on a, on a high note. Uh, the, the the malfeasance of the CDC is certainly um, sort of doom and gloom here. But um, uh, for the the final bit here, um, at the top of the the the, the space, I, I mentioned um, the the switch to quit Owensboro. And I, I figure this is probably a good thing to end on because, you know, as we're moving forward and as, as more people are uh, realizing the, the harm reduction potential of, of smoke-free nicotine products, um, we're seeing interest from people who cater to certain communities, um, uh, people who use drugs, people with mental health and behavioral disorders, um, a lot of underserved people. Uh, and I was sort of wondering, um, you know, with switch and switch to quit Owensboro, what were the outcomes? And um, is this is this a good model that, that, that could be adopted by 
um, you know, harm reduction centers, clean needle exchanges, uh, people who are, are serving uh, people in, in these underserved communities who, who smoke well, at disproportionately higher rates? Well, that, that's a great question. And, you know, for the entire time I've been in the tobacco world, uh, it's now 28 years. Um, I've had, I've been afflicted with this disease where I'm five to 10 years too early with things and where I'm doing things that are in a total vacuum with nobody else listening. And the Owensboro project, switch and quit Owensboro that we conducted in 2011 was another one of those um, that those projects that just was too early. Uh, we we decide, uh, you know, m- along with a number of my colleagues here, I decided to commit a large amount of money to a community intervention project where we would give the community uh, the information they needed to make the switch either to smokeless or to vaping at the time which you know was early in vaping but it was still available and um we we tried to we we had a whole advertising campaign that was professionally done uh we had lots of ads we tried to reach to the community i traveled there many times I tried uh, to speak to civic groups and others. Um, we even tried to get the hospital where U of L had a medical connection. We tried to get the hospital to come on board and participate in this, which would have been a big, big a plus. Uh, unfortunately, we got backstabbed. Uh, there, the doctors there. Um, turned t- turned around and, and wouldn't do it. The local county health department just was against this. And I met with them and tried to convince them. And s- what we were trying to do, we, we knew we c- didn't have the resources to do prevalence testing, to test for smoking prevalence before and after our intervention. And we knew that the, the, it wouldn't be sensitive enough. So what I tried to do was measure some form of community tobacco consumption. And I can't give you the details right now, but I did have a decent measure of that. And we had a control city in Kentucky that we were going to try to compare it to. And to be honest with you, the program didn't resonate enough with smokers in Owensboro that we were able to see any impact. I, I think that our overall program was solid. It was creative, and that was due to the ad agency. It was really cool in many respects, and I'd be delighted to share it. I'm, I have no problem sharing some of the components of it. Uh, but we, it was just not uh, the right time and the timing, uh, especially given the pushback that we had.
So, um, you know, I, I wish we'd have been more successful and I'd love for it to be tried somewhere else. Uh, but it is, but it is expensive and, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and speaking of which, um, you are obviously on Twitter. Uh, I don't want to send people to your direct messages, but if folks do want to get in touch with you. Um, what's, uh, can they get in touch with you through the, the blog spot or what's a, what's a good way to reach out? Yeah, look, I'm a social, I'm on social media, but to be very honest, I'm not real active. The best way to contact me is brad.rodu at louisville.edu. That's my email address. It's out there. You can find it on my blog, uh, may even be on my Twitter account. Uh, that's the best way to contact me. And, and, uh, you know, once you do, I can give you my phone number and other contact info and be happy to answer any questions. Um, and I hope despite the problems we had getting me my microphone on, I, I hope to come back. This was it's been a great conversation. I know you mentioned smokeless at the beginning um, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about that. And I'd love to come back and talk a lot about smokeless, too, because that history goes way back to 1990s and 1994 with my first publications. And do I have some stories to tell you about that? Yeah, I was about to say, I think I will definitely have you back on um, to talk about Smokeless. And perhaps we need to put together a panel of um, folks who have seen um, the business end of uh, um, uh, science blacklist. Uh, if you will, or, or people who have been threatened, their your, your careers have been threatened over simple scientific curiosity about tobacco products. Um, and so that may be another, another, uh, another talk we could bring you back for. Um, oh, I, I got a story about that uh, for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, I, I, we will wrap it up this time. I promise. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Radu. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Um, as always, um, folks uh, who maybe didn't hear this or hear the whole thing, we will have this posted up on our website. I think it takes a few days to get everything up there. Um, so you can find that at kasa.org. Um, if you search for the podcast, Danielle, where, where do people find this? Um, so we upload them directly to our SoundCloud. Logan does. I should correct myself. Logan uploads. So they're on our SoundCloud. And then also we do record these spaces on Twitter. So Twitter keeps them on our profiles for replays for about 30 days, I believe. I think they may be working on doing that for longer. Um, but at this point, it's 30 days. So for the next month, you can re-listen to this. Or if you missed you know, the beginning of it, listen to it on Twitter, uh, as well as our SoundCloud. Fantastic. There's like 10 minutes of me trying to fumble through an introduction and work out technical difficulties. But uh, the rest of this is 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 pure gold. So um, thank you to our board members, Logan, Matt, Danielle, and once again, Brad Radu. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Uh, we uh, tentatively are back in two weeks on Twitter. We've got our podcast this weekend on Saturday. Uh, that is 430 Eastern. 1.30 Pacific, and as Logan is prone to say, everybody else in the middle, you got to do your own math here. I know that Matt is in mountain time, um, and that's just eh, whatever. Um, we're all, we're going to do away with uh, daylight savings time soon. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, 
with that, I'm sure I'm missing some of the other things. I've said all the thank yous, uh, and I think we'll probably end it there.